Hey, stranger, you're listening to Tell Good Stories. Okay, I'm, re- I'm ready to hear about it. Oh, you are? I, whenever, uh, whenever you... <laughs> no, I'm nervous. This is Tootsie Bell, a silversmith in Memphis, Tennessee. So I'm going to kind of tell the story that I told it uh, Saturday night, if that's okay. That works totally for okay. me. Saturday night was a story slam organized by Spillet, a storytelling group in Memphis. Sean Mosley, whose story you can hear on this podcast one day soon, is also part of Spillet. Tootsie actually won the story slam, which is pretty cool. Congratulations. Well, I tied. In true transparency, I tied. Um, and the story... The first story, actually, that she told at Spillet was about how she sort of never really came out. Anyway, I only mention it because it's gut-wrenchingly funny, and you can listen to it on spilletmemphis.org slash listen. Search on that page for her name, Tootsie, T-O-O-T-S-I-E, Bell. Okay, I'll stop talking now. You know, I'm sure that some really great things have happened to me, and I've probably done some really goodwill in my life, but I... I can't come up with it, and anytime I think about the title, I just think about my son and what a, just a really, he gives me that great goodness. Um, so to give you a little background about myself, I'm a lesbian, I'm 52, I grew up in Senatobia, Mississippi, um, which is a very small town, grew up in the 70s when, um, you know, to me there were no gay people. <laughs> But I didn't even really know what that was anyway. But, you know, d- despite the fact that, like, my my older brother listened to Elton John and Freddie Mercury and David Bowie and Mick Jagger and all that that I know about them now, still to me, I, it's just, was there, it, there was nothing other than being, being straight. Um, so uh, I didn't really know anything differently. I didn't know that I was different for a while. Um, because I've just kind of been gay all my life. So I didn't really know that that was different until I started liking girls and obviously got a lot of pushback about that in a small town in particular and had a lot of oppression. Um, When I moved away from there, I was 17 and just never looked back and I was really, um, really angry. I got lucky that I had somebody that guided me towards saw me drawing in my sketchbook and thought I had talent and said go to, then it was the Art Academy, now it's Memphis College of Art. So I got lucky there because when I went there, then I realized that I wasn't really that different and I was actually kind of plain in comparison to a lot of people. Um, But it really helped me start to accept myself that Either that I was different or that I wasn't really that different. That, you know, love is love. All the things that we talk about now that nobody talked about then. Um, but I was kind of an angry person. Um, even though, you know, there was there were some good things starting to happen for me. But so fast forward to about 10 years ago. And um, so that would have been, what, 2007. And I am just starting to date a woman um, that I had been friends with, but we'd never been great friends, but our circles touched. And she had moved away and lived in California, moved back home, and we were like, oh, hey, 
got together and started having coffee, which led to having beer, which led to like one night I was just like, oh my God, the light just shifted. And she had just been offered a job in Nashville and moved there, so we were commuting. Um, so we'd been seeing each other, I don't know, a little while, six or eight months, maybe, maybe not that long. I'm not certain, but um, we were, I had driven to Nashville and we were together having a conversation probably at dinner or maybe her apartment or something. And anyway, she told me that she wanted to have a baby. And that, um, uh, you know, I expressed a lot of reservations about that and fears about that, which most people I think have, but also, you know, I loved children all my life, but I never thought that having, I never really thought about that as my future because I didn't know it was an option, really. Um, and then also it just made me nervous because, because I've had a lot of oppression, it makes, I have a lot of, I've come a long way, but at that time I had a lot of um, insecurities around it, I think, that I didn't recognize until later. But anyway, so she just said, well, you know, it's kind of a deal breaker. And then I was like, well, looks like we're going to have a baby. <laughs> so um, then we uh, began the process of how do we do that, you know, um, and essentially got online and at a cryobank. And it, it's so weird to be talking about this publicly, but, um, you know, at a cryobank, you can, you can literally type in blue eyes and every donor that has blue eyes pops up. So we started with just trying to find a donor that was similar to me and build and make and like brown eyes, dark hair, dark skin. Um, I have some Native American in my family and I'm probably the only one in my family that cares anything about it. But to me, it's a big part of who I am. I'm really proud of it. So, And then also finding somebody artistic. And I, luckily we did. Um, so we got pregnant. We got very lucky. Um, a lot of people have to try a long, long time and spend a lot of money. And it becomes very emotional and draining and, you know, sometimes takes a big toll on your relationship. But we got lucky. We got pregnant on the third try. And ironically, it was kind of a wild night, which you wouldn't expect to be. I mean, for other people, but not for somebody who has to plan so much. But it was. We, um, the night that it was time to, uh, you know, inseminate we I had an art opening and then we had to and then I was also playing the drums at the high tone in a band that I was in and we had a late show but in between that we had to go get our hookup you know and so it was kind of it was kind of wild it was kind of a wild night and then I remember later um being on stage playing kind of drunk because I was so nervous I just you know just trying to be honest here and then there's um, Jamie, and she's out in the audience, and she, as I found out later, is just like, oh, dear God, here she is. She's drunk, playing the drums on the stage, and we might be pregnant. And it turns out we were. Um, and so when we found out that we were pregnant, it was kind of funny. She asked me to, like, you know, you look at the stick. I'm going to go, you know, and I fell back asleep. So then I wake up to, oh, my God, baby, it says we're pregnant. And I was just like, oh, my God. And the funny thing is that we called um, 
our best friend there's who's godmother and but you know she didn't answer the phone and apparently we didn't hang up our phone and so she got this long 10 minute message of us sitting in the bed freaking out going oh my god oh my god we're pregnant oh my god what are we gonna do so uh, about six or eight weeks into it, I'm really starting to just come apart at the fact that we're pregnant. Like, I'm freaking out about telling people how, to, you know, I've never really come out, even though it's just who I am and people know or you don't know or whatever, but I've just never, and to tell my parents, and then that trickle into my family of everybody, and so I'm really, um, sweating it, but, um, we get through that, and so we have miles, so I'll fast forward to that night. So we go to the hospital. Jamie's in labor for like 32 hours or something. It was really oh. scary for oh, me. No. Um, she ended up in the OR with a C-section. So at this point, I'm really just worried about her, you know. Um, so... I'm talking to her, she's kind of loopy and, you know, talking to me and next thing you know, they're like, well, here he is, right? And he could not be more white after all of our searching for someone that would look like me. So I'm just like, oh my God, because he, he looked, have you seen pickled eggs yeah. in a jar? So what he looked like? <laughs> I mean, he looked like a giant pickled egg and it just took me back. Um, so I immediately turned to Jamie and I'm just like, how are you? you? Okay. Or whatever. And they whisk him off to the little nurse on the side and clean him up. And then she says, come with me. We're going to the nursery. And she has this very thick, like Nigerian accent, which I won't even attempt. I wish I could, but being from Mississippi, I know I can't, I cannot do the accent, but we're walking down the hall and she's, you know, 10 or 15 feet ahead of me and marching with my new son and she says to me in this big deep voice this child looks just like you how did you do that that I didn't even know what to say you know I was just like oh yeah that's great right so we go to the nursery and later we're um when they get Jamie back in the room and it's at this point he was born right before midnight it's like three or four in the morning and um she's breastfed him and I'm I'm laying on the couch now with this little bundle you know so sweet and I, and she's kind of crying she looks over at me I was like what is wrong she's like my whiteness ruined our baby <laughs> because he wasn't dark it was hysterical so now we we get through that well also we find out here's a good really this made me feel really really good we found out later that um one of the nurses, and she was just so wonderful, and we were talking about how, I was just kind of saying, you know, they've been so sweet and so glad because, you know, being a lesbian couple, having a baby in the South. Um, and she said, well, yeah, so we all took a poll as to who would want to be your caregivers. And there were some that weren't comfortable, and there were some that were happy to, really happy to be here. So everybody that has cared for you has been here because we wanted to be here. So not long after that, there's a there's a event here in town called Rock and Romp, and they don't do it anymore, but they, they did it, I think, two or three times a year. And it's basically an event for parents 
to come and drink and have barbecue and listen to live music with with their kids and their kids having activities. And it's just, to me, basically a way that we can all just pretend that our lives <laughs> didn't just pivot, you know. And so I'm standing there. I've got my son, and he's like six months old, eight months old, or whatever reason, a little baby carrier. And some, one of our friends comes up, and he's like, man, he looks just like you. And how did you do that? I mean, since you had absolutely nothing to do with it, which is a big joke with us now, but because um, that was great. Um so anyway, he's all of this is to say just this whole journey has like um, really sort of been healing for me and reversed a lot of oppression that I had. And I know that it's the time that we live in and we're evolving, but, um, but there's still a lot of oppression around. And that's been good for me to see. And, and then my son himself is so... He's such a gift to everybody, but he's just so honest, and he's so compassionate. Um, and I could give you many stories of little things that make me happy about him. I'll give you an example of his compassion. We were going to the car one day. I was getting ready to take him to school, and he noticed all these little seedlings, like tree sprouts, along our driveway. And he's like, Mama, look at all those trees. And he said, oh, I've never seen trees here before. What's going to happen to those? And I'm like, well, they'll probably run over the lawnmower. He's like, well, we can't let that happen. So he starts digging them up and potting them. And then he sort of becomes obsessed with saving all these little trees. And at, at his Nana's yard, he digs them up. In the neighbor's yard, if he sees somebody and they have one, he'll go ask him, can I dig this up? Can I save this tree? So then we had a plant sale, and we put it on Facebook, and he's, he sold like, he made like a hundred bucks selling, saving these trees. I mean, he's just a sweet, sweet soul. But early on, I think he was about two or three, he was at um, daycare, and the teacher told us a story when we came to pick him up, but they were getting ready for Father's Day. And so they were all talking about dads and fathers and getting ready to do some crafts. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't have it. I don't have a dad. And his little friend, they're three, right? And so his little friend, Michael, says, you got to have a daddy. And he said, no, I don't. And he was like, yes, you do. You, got, you have to have a daddy. And Michael's like, no, I don't. And they start to kind of argue about it. So when we started there, they had asked everybody to make like a family poster with pictures and stuff. And it was on the wall. And so Miles persisted, and Michael was like, no, you have to have a daddy. And Miles said, no, I don't. Come here. And so he goes over there, takes him over to the family poster, and just says, look, Mommy, Mama, and me. And Michael just went, oh, you're right. I mean, that's just, that's my story. That's just like what this child has brought into my life, just the ability to let go of this lingering I don't know if it would be oppression or preconceived idea of how I'm going to be received or it's just this newness, just this fresh, uninhibited life that has just been a gift to me. It really has. I mean, what it has done is turned me into the largest cliche I've ever known. I mean, you become, I became such a cliche. I mean, I say all of those things 
it's the greatest happiest you'll ever know um just every, every cliche you could ever think of um a, a friend of mine who is a sculptor and he's kind of this rough rowdy guy or was and he, in my old shop i had him come out and um he's a welder well he's a sculptor but he helped me with some equipment and we were talking and i didn't know that he had had a a child he had had a son I didn't know he got married or any I mean if I had to pick somebody I don't think it would have been him and so he was telling me I was just like oh my gosh Mark that must have been really a big change and really something to adjust to and he's like oh well to see it's kind of like getting used to a million bucks and I was just like oh my god <laughs> that was the greatest and to come from some like someone like him it was just uh it's crazy, but but yeah, it's uh, all of those things. Becoming a parent is um, it is the greatest greatest joy. I mean, it's hard. It's hard work. Um, it's challenging, but it's another cliche. It makes you a better person, you know. When you're you, because you try to be a good parent and not be triggered by whatever that make you know, like you've had a horrible day and you're nerves are shot already and then they're needy or defiant because they've had a nerve wracking you know and you gotta like find patience i have more patience now than i have ever had in my life and he's taught me that he really has it's, it's great if i'd been a parent as a young adult or just younger in my life not have been I don't think I would have been that good of a parent because I had not, you know, I've, had, I've just worked a lot on myself and like all the stuff that happened in my childhood that shaped how I sort of turned in and turned on myself and anger that I had and um, chip on my shoulder and all that that I don't have anymore. And if you happen to be a young parent without resources, you're sort of trapped at home. You don't get to go out with your friends, you know, and then that, if that had happened to me, I didn't go out a lot, but I, but I did go out, you know, I spent a lot of time in my studio painting, but I just can't imagine having a child and not being able to do what I wanted to do, you know. I think that is really hard on younger people. When you're older, you kind of, I mean, I, I didn't really, I don't miss that. You know what I mean? I love being with him. And when he was a baby, I can remember sitting in the den, rocking him in the chair, just thinking, man, this is great. This is a Friday night at, you know, eight or nine. And I'm just like right where I want to be. <laughs> Thinking about other stories I've heard on the road, I tell Tootsie about a guy named Fred, who I interviewed just up the road in Nashville. Fred told me about the time he and his very young son both got the flu. It was a Super Bowl Sunday, but Fred didn't even remember what teams were playing. He just remembers how happy he was, holding his son, enjoying the bliss of cradling his child, each grateful to have a body to hold while they felt miserable. Tootsie tells me she has a similar story. Um, so two years ago, um, it's kind of a long time coming, but it, the good that Miles brought to my life and Jamie's life um, also sort of pulled us apart. And we went through some really rough times and we separated 
almost three years ago and or two and a half and two years ago this past Labor Day she moved out we're back together she hasn't moved home yet but we've worked really hard and to the point where we put our rings back on a few weeks ago um, and I think it's gonna be okay but I had a day like that with Miles it was the day that Jamie moved out and so my, I took Miles camping and the way we had told him was I suggested that we you know we never wanted to say to him you don't have a dad because we don't want to bring up what he doesn't have we just wanted to say you got two moms you know people are different you got two moms and so the same sort of thing in regards to separating we didn't want to say we're separating we're divorcing we don't talk about coming apart you know we just said we we're at dinner one night we just said so mommy and I've decided to do something different and we're gonna have two houses now and he was like two houses whoa and he was real excited in the beginning then sort of the heartbreak started to show up he did really well we all did really well but the day that she moved out I took him camping and we went down just south of where I grew up but I grew up going to this campground we got there that Friday night of course my heart's breaking and I, he might I'm sure he could probably sense that but he just kind of wasn't himself and by you know 10 o'clock that night he's like running a fever and he got so sick um the good thing about that was it was a little bit of a bonding time with Jamie I mean the whole time we were trying to like not be angry I mean it's heartbreaking and and you're mad at each other you know but we were in that moment just being really it was a little healing in in all of its awfulness to have to communicate through all this and talk about him and so we ended up going home instead of staying the whole weekend we went home the next morning and um we, the same thing, we just went straight to our the recliner in the den, and he just laid on me, and we just were there all day, just holding each other. He had a fever, and I had a broken heart, and it was just, it was extremely, it was just really bonding, you know, and I, I just, you know, that's probably one of those moments when I realized, you know, this kid is just golden for me. I mean, he washes away the worst day, you know, kind of keeps me, you know, getting up, fall down seven times, get up eight kind of thing. I mean, he's just, I'm sure a lot of parents feel that way, but he really has just been a gift, but I can relate to that moment. A big thank you to Tootsie Bell for sharing her story on this episode. This episode of Tell Good Stories was made possible by Catherine of San Francisco. Catherine is one of the reasons I survived grad school with my mind intact, and therefore is a key reason why this podcast exists. No sanity, no podcast. Okay, time for Everywhere Wisdom. Um, I found wisdom this week in, of all places, Instagram. There's an app called Calm, um, C-A-L-M. I don't know why I can't say that word, Calm calm. That sounds weird to my ears. Anyway, there's an app called Calm and it 
uh, helps you meditate and fall asleep and all that good stuff. I don't really use the app, but I started following them on Instagram because they have all sorts of really powerful quotes, and sometimes they just have videos that are 15 seconds long um, of rain um, or a brook um, sort of flowing along. And the caption is always, do, do nothing for 15 seconds. And I really like that reminder to just, you know, it's okay to do nothing for a few seconds. Um, sometimes we need that little breather. So that is the first place where I found wisdom this week. Um, I also found wisdom in the words of modern philosopher James Bay, who tells us, no, you don't have to wear your best fake smile. All right, that's it for this episode. You can always reach me at admin at tellgoodstories.com or on Instagram at tellgoodstories for exclusive, except not really, pictures. Details about the everywhere wisdom tidbits are in the episode notes. All right, signing off. Peace, love, and chocolate.